easily marketable greeting, everyone. Yeah, I still don't have one. I hope you had a great week, and I hope that by releasing this podcast on Mondays, I am making this awful day at least a tiny bit better. Imagine what it would be like if Mondays didn't exist. Imagine what it would be like if you had friends who would never leave your side. Imagine strangers would pay you money to kill some orcs. Imagine being able to cast spells. This mildly lame intro suggests that this week's episode is all about imagination and why it's the most important thing in life and in D&D. But those two are the same thing, really. Well, if you want to hear some waffle all about a quaffle, there's a Quidditch talk for the elite. And if you want to chat plenty about an app 20, we've got D&D, so just take a seat. Roll, beat, repeat. Roll, beat, repeat. Still super excited about that jingle, but also... What I'm super excited about is my podcast's cover art. Have you guys seen it yet? Beautifully, beautifully done by the extremely talented Allie Simpson, who is also my DM, so show her some love by appreciating the art. Because we want her in good spirits so that my characters don't die a horrible death. When it comes to art, my talent is not on the level of an expired can of beans, It is on the level of a regular can of beans that's just about to expire. Anyway, let's talk D&D. I know I said I wouldn't talk about cancer much on this podcast, but that's how I got into D&D, so I have to. When I was sick, I couldn't do much. I couldn't really go out, couldn't do sports, couldn't even eat a grapefruit. Ridiculous, right? And I was bummed about that. But then my friend Bob saved my life without even knowing it. He mentioned D&D totally casually, and I was like, wait, what? D&D? Keep talking? Keep those words coming? And one thing led to another, and about a week later, there I was sitting at a table with a bunch of complete strangers, a character sheet I didn't understand, and no dice. All of my D&D friends would now be like, what? You had no dice? Because now I have an excessive amount of dice. I am obsessed. I definitely have a problem. Or do I? I mean, after all, there is a mathematical formula for calculating how many dice sets you need. It's pretty simple. The amount of dice you need equals x plus 1. X being the number of sets you currently own. Neat, isn't it? I'd promise this would be the only math on the show, but I'd be lying because D&D is really just math disguised as fun. And how I got into this dice obsession? Well, it was just like my D&D obsession started by Bob, who gave me my very first set of dice. So thanks, Bob. You really did save my life. And you also ruined my bank account because my dice obsession now is pretty much all I invest in. Let's get back on track, though. So I'm sitting at a table with a character sheet, my brand new dice from Bob, and no clue what I'm supposed to do. I had also been obsessively watching how to play D&D videos on YouTube until 3am the previous night, so I'm also exhausted. Also didn't learn shit from that. I was given a tiefling warlock character sheet by my DM Ali's boyfriend, Zeke, who is an experienced player, and he had little idea 
that I had no idea what a tiefling or a warlock was. So when my DM was like, all right, everyone, what do your characters look like? Describe them so that everybody knows what we're looking at. I replied with a long, um, okay, and a very confused look while the rest of my soon-to-be party stared at me expectantly. At least this is what I remember. I'm sure it went down completely differently. That doesn't mean I'm lying, though. This is really how I remember it. And if any of you are as confused about a tiefling warlock as I was back then, let me hold your hand and walk you through who my character Ia D was. I honestly can't remember what Ia's backstory was or if she even had one. If she did, well, I guess it wasn't great. To put it simply, a tiefling is a half-demon or other dark, dark entity. They are fairly human-like, except not really. Tieflings have horns and tails, so they may resemble what your axe looks like in your head. Ia had red skin, blue-black hair, and what resembled ram's horns. The ram's horns actually have a significant significance. Yeah, this is great radio, Nikki. You are really good at words. So the horns, they were ram's horns because those were the only ones that the fantasy avatar creator online had. It was destined to be. Not that the fact that my tiefling had ram's horns ever came up. Now that we know what, or rather who, a tiefling is, let's get into warlocks. Oh man. If you ever played D&D, you know that warlocks are weird. Warlocks are spellcasters who have been granted their power by a patron they assign their soul off to. So kind of like their employer. They tell them what to do, they give them the means, and if they do it well, they're rewarded. Or they're not punished. And if they do a bad job, then they get fired. Huh. Maybe they're not as weird, actually. Maybe they're in fact the most relatable class there is. Think about it for a second. If you're employed, you're required to put your heart and soul into the work no matter how dirty. And I mean that literally, not like in a cool mafia-style way. And you are given the means to do that. Cleaning supplies, tools, books, or the most evil of them all, work computers. Work computers are vicious little bastards. They work perfectly until you actually need them. And then... When you go to the IT people and I'm like, hey, ma'am, my laptop did this thing and now it won't do the other thing it's supposed to do. Your laptop goes, hee, <laughs> and starts doing the thing it's supposed to do again. And then the IT person looks at you, raises an eyebrow slowly, and you grab your silently giggling computer and scurry away. But I was in the middle of a masterfully crafted analogy comparing warlock work to regular human work. So you give your soul to your employer, you are given the right tools for the job, and then you are supposed to work your ass off to be given a reward. That's basically it. That's a warlock, an employee with magic and much, much cooler boss than yours. Unless you're self-employed. Then you're your own patron? Which is honestly kind of mind-blowing. Kind of cool, kind of meta, and kind of I won't get into that. When talking about D&D mechanics, warlocks are still weird. 
They get magic. Hell, they get magic, which is super fucking powerful. But it still works completely differently from the other casters. Before I get into some of the mechanics of a warlock, let me get into a disclaimer. I was a terrible, terrible warlock. The clash just didn't sit with me. Maybe it was because back then I had no damn clue as to how anything works in D&D. Maybe I just really suck at warlocking. So anything I tell you may or may not be true about this class, but I'm going to do it anyway. Also, maybe I should talk just a little bit about spellcasting in D&D so that we're all on the same page. In the 5th edition, you generally get two kinds of spells. You get cantrips and leveled spells. So cantrips are less powerful, but staple spells. They are your go-to spells. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and your rogue party member is stealing your hard-earned gold pieces, these would be the spells that just automatically burst out of you. They are so deeply engraved in your mind that you can't unlearn these and learn new ones in their place. And then you get spells of levels 1 to 9, which cost you magical energy to cast, known as spell slots. So warlocks get one of the best cantrips in the entire game, Eldritch Blast. First of all, there are literally no monsters in the monster manual resistant to force damage, and only a single one immune to it. The only one being the Helmed Horror. Which, despite its name, is actually... No, it's still fucking terrifying. Apart from being immune to fours, necrotic, and poison damage, it's immune to being frightened, blinded, charmed, and a couple of other conditions, it is also immune to three spells that the creator chooses. So, unless you're metagaming, which you shouldn't do, kids, you're in for a rough ride and a lot of confusion when your fireball does fuck all to this giant... Well actually just medium-sized construct. Back to Eldridge blasting stuff, though. Don't expect me to do a thorough run through the Warlock class and explain all its features. I still only sorta know how it works up to level 4-ish. But Eldridge blast is super cool. Well, it's only cool if you're one of the other party members watching your warlock friend blast the living hell out of everything around them from as far as 300 feet with the Eldritch Spear invocation, but you're not the one stuck with pretty much always casting only Eldritch Blast. I might, maybe, one day go back to playing a warlock, but it's definitely not going to happen anytime soon. But great work that all of you warlocks out there are doing really spectacular. Keep it up. I mean, wow. If you were paying attention to the intro of this episode, you're probably wondering when I'm finally going to start talking about imagination like I promised I would. Well, imagine this. Again, I know, not a funny podcast, just positive. Imagine this. This whole time I was talking about a character that is not real despite the very real and very confusing stats it had on a physical character sheet. It was only imagined by me, my party, my DM, and now you. In your head, you crafted an image of what Ia looks like based on my limited description. I could post a picture on my Facebook page. By the way, go follow it. But that would be cheating. I'd rather have you experience what I experienced when my mind started going off in a multitude of directions trying to put together those pieces of this character to form an image which would feel right. 
and which would feel real. And it doesn't matter that she's not actually real. She is to me. She is to my D&D friends. Summed up by the greatest warlock I know of, the former chief warlock of the Wizengamot, Albus Dumbledore. Of course it is happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean that it is not real? That's right, yeah. Hell yeah, Albus, you tell them, you go, my man. This would have been a good place to end the episode, but instead, let me talk about my most beloved character to date, my wood elf druid. I love this character so much that I've been playing elven characters in pretty much all my other campaigns, just so that I wouldn't get out of touch with this one. I love, love, love elves. I know, my beloved listener, and I'm looking at you, Zeke, in particular, that there may be mechanically better races to play. But for me, elves will always have a special place in my heart. So, Nylea, the Wood Elf Dread. Before I go into why she is who she is, let me get that imagination of yours working again. This is what Nai looks like. She is fairly tall, even for an elf, with beautiful long brown hair that falls all the way down to her thighs and is intricately braided to get out of her way. You might even see the occasional leaf or a stick stuck in her hair. She's wearing armor, but since druids don't wear anything metal, hers is made of leather and is studded with rocks instead of metal bits. The most striking feature, easily, is a bright green crystal in the middle of her forehead. And if you look closely enough, you will find that she is wearing a tree-shaped pendant made of jade and emerald around her neck on a leather string. She is also totally ribbed under that armor, but that's just because I'm not and I want at least my character to be. Though it is not actually reflected in her strength score, she's weak, man. Well, not when she's a bear or a fucking earth elemental. She will literally break you if you mess with her when she turns into a bear. But now, story time. Grab a drink, get into a comfortable position, grab some snacks, and get ready for a nice backstory. First backstory I actually wrote for a character. Here it is. Also, imagine... Ah, imagination coming into play once again, see? Imagine that there's some storytelling ambient music playing in the background, because I'm not sure I'll be able to figure that out in post. We'll see, I suppose. So either imagine or be surprised. Nye grew up with a tribe of wood elves who taught her all she knows about the principles of nature. She, however, felt that there was a bigger purpose waiting for her and slowly grew more and more distant from the tribe. The further she was from the tribe, the closer she was to nature itself, and slowly but steadily. She started experiencing unusual notions, like sprouting feathers from her forearm or fur on her pointy ears. Living far away from any other civilization, the rest of the tribe started feeling very uncomfortable around Nye and her unusual transformation. While getting ready to leave the tribe, Nye promised herself to diligently study everything she could about the world she was about to explore. That was what led her to discover an intriguing story in one of the books owned by the tribe elders. The book told a story of an elven kingdom on a river delta, drawing all of its energy from the flow of the countless streams and waterfalls, which unexpectedly found itself fighting with an army of 
unlikely allies, orcs and wizards. Eventually, as the conflict got more and more heated, a secret message, carried by a majestic eagle, made its way to Queen Yelenai. The message was a warning. It was a warning that the wizards were preparing a powerful curse which would make the kingdom practically defenseless and that there are only moments to take an action. Exhausted from labor, Yelenai, unfortunately, was unable to do much more than wrap the newborn girl in one of her silk sheets and hand her over to the eagle. Strangely, she felt at ease when giving the baby to the majestic beast, and the eagle seemed to be waiting for just that as the moment its claws got hold of the baby wrapped in the silk sheet, it took off. Not long after, all of the streams, rivers, and waterfalls dried out, leaving the kingdom powerless. The story ends there, as it is believed that there were no witnesses of what happened after. In the book, there was one note which immediately convinced Nai that she was the long-lost child of the noble family. It is said that the family bore a mark of nature and could therefore easily recognize each other. There was no description of what the mark really was, but Nai concluded it was the birthmark on her right shoulder in the shape of a tree, or as she deduced, in the shape of a river delta. This story put her into a secretly obsessive need to find the truth and pushed her to practice drawing energy from nature itself, and especially water. And once she was confident enough in her skills, she left the tribe in search of her family. That was one intense backstory, right? Let me tell you, I didn't stick to the drama for very long since my next character's major goal in life was to invent fantasy popcorn. But hey, you gotta start with a serious dramatic backstory and work from there. Kickstart that imagination process and start writing countless possible backstories for so many characters that you would in fact need several lifetimes to play all of them. Imagination will let you do absolutely anything. Your mind is an unlimited source of wonder and creative thought. Now that we get deep, let's imagine what it would be like if I knew how to wrap up an episode. I might not even manage to do that, ever. Who knows? But let's leave this episode on a cliffhanger. Will Nye find her family? What happens next in her story? Well, I guess you'll find out in two weeks. Here are you guys then. <laughs>